0: Hey, Chloe, what do you think about progress? You know what?
1: Let's hear an interesting perspective on that. Welcome back to Fact of Life with Chloe Noller and Maddie Grace Watson. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome back to Fact of Life this week. We're glad you've joined us for a really special episode. I know we had a guest last week, um, which was such a privilege to have Hinson on. It was such a blast. Um, But this week we had an awesome opportunity to interview an author of a book that's just coming out called Feminism Against Progress. We got the chance to interview the author, Mary Harrington, today, and it it was a blast. We... Um, she had a lot of good things to say. And so we kind of just wanted to dive into a little bit of, of, you know, what she talked about and kind of our perspective on that as well. I'm not totally sure that she was coming from a strictly Christian perspective, but I think she had a lot of really good things to say from her own personal experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's a lot of a lot of good things that we need to hear as, as women living in this, you know, postmodern, really progressive society. Definitely,
0: a lot of points that mm-hmm. are not typically brought up, and we're very, yeah. very eye-opening to see. Definitely. So it's or it's it's definitely a perspective I think everyone should hear. Um, mm-hmm. definitely, like regardless of what side you're on, I promise you, it will
1: open up some new new piece of information for you. Yeah, the book is a really good read. Um, she does a fantastic job of digging into the past history of the feminist movements. You know, you know, starting from first, second, and third wave, but also just how you know, like the Industrial Revolution played into everything, and and how it really switched up, you know, these gender roles, and and how kind of the modern feminist movement has tied itself to progress, and and really is in the business of freeing people up to live whatever life they want. Um, it's not even about women anymore. So that will be in the second half of this episode, but kind of this first episode, my Grace and I just wanted to touch on, you know, some of the things that we we think about, you know, the modern day feminist movement and. You know, our first episode on this podcast touched on Christianity and feminism. Such and a cool then and now moment. Yeah, it's so true. Um, this is We're you in know one of our recording studio now. <laughs> I know, and you know now it's like the end of the semester. It's kind of crazy, but you know definitely grown a ton since our you know first interview moment or mm-hmm. our first our first podcast. But one of the things that I think Mary brings up quite a bit, and I think that's something that plays into you know her her writing is this idea of gender roles, and I think that's a really big thing that. You know, we we hear today and this topic of gender roles and, and, you know, should we be keeping people in those, you know, quote unquote gender roles or, you know, should women be homemakers and and that kind of thing? So, I don't know if you want to just dive into that. Like, what are we what are we thinking about there? One really interesting thing
0: that she pointed out, she kind of went into a little bit of the history of traditional roles, I guess, so to speak talking about how when like the industrial revolution came around um women's roles kind of transitioned a little bit and just how that looked over time and I thought that was such an interesting perspective because I think many times we are kind of put, oh you're either like a traditional Christian person definitely like oh make sandwiches and you hate women or it's (laughs) like yes let's make women work and send their children to be raised by other human beings that they don't know and Mm -hmm. maybe they can Put in a microwave dinner if they get home in time before they fall asleep. It's really interesting because I loved how Mary pointed out, like, that's not the way it was for so many years. Yeah. One thing I just really, really cannot stand about the modern-day feminist movement is how they've taken things that are inherent to what a woman is, and they've said, like, these are somehow, like, inferior in a way. Mm -hmm. So, like, for instance, motherhood. like. There, there's like, oh, if you d- aren't, it's almost like stay-at-home moms are looked down in a way, mm-hmm. um, and it's not looked at as a literal like viable like praiseworthy option, just as if yeah. a mother was, um, and I, I mean, I am not entirely for. I don't think every single mom should stay at home, and I don't think every single one should go out at work. I think there's obviously like, ex- like certain circumstances in each one that determine that.
1: But well, yeah, and I, I like that's part of the reason that Maddie Grace and I started this podcast was because are two like the two women we look up to most like i think in the podcast network would be candace owens and ellie bestecke yeah they are two phenomenal women who have you know great careers and they are doing the lord's work i mean they truly are speaking truth standing up for what they believe in but they're both moms and they Mm -hmm. both have wonderful marriages wonderful families um and they're just such a great example of of womanhood and i I don't know, I, I, for some strange reason, and I actually hate that I was like this, but for a while I was like, oh, I don't want kids. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. I, I. It was a segment of time in, in high school where I was like, oh, I don't want kids. And people were like, you are so going to change your view on that. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's not true. I have, I have no idea where that came from. I think that's that was just me not you. being, no, I know. I think that was just me being rebellious. <laughs> My rebellious era. I didn't rebel, but like that was, I don't know. Chloe's
0: rebellious <laughs> era.
1: I don't, I don't want, want children. kids. But I think that that is something that is so inherent to a woman. And I, I know that not everyone is able to be a mom. And there are, you know, biological things that will keep women from having children. And, and not every woman is called to that. But I do think that one special purpose that only women have is, is mm-hmm. the ability to create a child. I think that there's something that a woman fulfills such a deep purpose within her when she is a mom. And there's things that she just doesn't understand until she becomes that. And Mary talks about this. This is Mary's coming from a perspective of someone who was very much caught up in, you know, the feminist movement, very caught up in the progressive side of things. And and she like what grabbed a hold of her um, amongst a couple other things but the main thing was she became a mom and she she realized this kind of independence and you know just this lifestyle of doing whatever you want whenever you want was not um, wouldn't work anymore because she's a mom and she has a baby to take care of it's another limb she says like a, a, it's something a part of her and she loves it and she would do anything for this child no matter what you know because that's, a p- that's her flesh and blood like it's a part of her and I just, I just thought that was so interesting. and I thought that was beautiful because, um, you know, God has given women such a beautiful gift and, um, I think there's just so much of a woman's purpose, um, and just understanding, um, more of who she is and what her role is in this world when she becomes a mom. And mm-hmm. I, like I said, I know not everyone can be, but, um, I just think it's a really beautiful, a beautiful thing. And I mean, personally, I'm looking forward to motherhood.
0: hmm Yeah. I think um, in, a, in a lot, a lot of ways, the feminist movement's attempt to, you know, make sure everyone has, like, equal rights and everything, like, we're 100% behind all of that, but I think in the attempt to to have equal rights for men and women, they've also tried... It, it's It's gone into categories that it should not, where it's mm-hmm. no, no longer making, like, like, yes, equal rights, but then you go into categories um, where it's like, oh, now we're saying... Who you are inherently as a woman is not the same as if you were a man, well, like, obviously, but they're saying it in a lesser way. And so, like, with motherhood, it's, like, people are saying, oh, having a child is a burden. And yes, there are definitely certain times of life when it's not planned, necessarily. It's not the best avenue to go down. So, it, it's a struggle. Um, that is definitely 100% true. But there are, like, so many people to help people through that even like people willing to you know help people through like pre- even the like, people who don't know you and mm-hmm. so through that like there's they paint pregnancy and having children as literally such a burden yeah when it's I, not
1: allie beth posted a tiktok well she, she's not on tiktok but she <laughs> like reposted on her story on instagram mm-hmm. a tiktok that she saw that someone made and um a, a woman was like I don't know, it was, like, this, like, flash forward to, like, if she got married. And it was, like, this image in her head of, like, being home and, like, mopping the floors and doing all the laundry. And, you know, she was, like, oh, my goodness, like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to become a wife or a mom. Like, I don't want to do all the work. And she made a funny point. She's, like, point me to any single women who don't have to do their own laundry and mop their own floors. Like, where where are these people? Like, yeah. just because you're single doesn't mean you don't have to take care of yourself or, you know. But I just... I think that it's just so sad because it's it's part of this attack on the nuclear family that has just been going on for so long. And we really are going to do a full episode on that, um, you know, especially coming up in the fall. But, um, you know, just diving into the nuclear family and, and what the government has like slyly been doing from a very like a scarily like more like old time, like what they've been trying to do to break apart the nuclear family. And you know, it, it's how the government becomes the nanny state, and and just becomes so overbearing and involved in the public life when that mm-hmm. was not the case at all. That's not what it should have been. But um the nuclear family works. It, it well, it's almost like, like God made it that way. You know, know what I mean? Like it's almost like I God knew what he was doing. Why, like
0: you know, you look at it and you have you know, in the sense, of, like, the husband like going out making money for the family, and then you have like the mom at home like raising these children like that is raising human beings is such an important role like i don't understand why that is starting to be looked down upon Mm -hmm. and in favor and instead taken upon like oh let's let's both work when we don't necessarily have to let's put our children in like a daycare or some institution when we don't have to um with people we don't really know who are actually raising our children like at that point your children are spending more hours awake with those people than they are with you and, again, like, just through all of this, no, like, 100% no, like, there are we, – we know there are extenuating circumstances and different things. So, like, mm-hmm. we don't in any one way want to be, like, condemning people who, like, have to make some of those decisions. But I think it's – people are making those decisions, like, putting your children in daycare, not raising your own children, like, things like that, just, like – just because
1: to get out of the like cus- yes. called
0: so-called gender role. Yes, exactly. I, I don't
1: know. I've been thinking about this a lot because I, I had a conversation recently about this. Just, you know, what a man and women's relationship should be as a part of a household. And I don't know. I've, I've just been thinking about this a lot. And, and even with, like, women's voting rights. And I don't know. There's just a lot of things I've been thinking about um, with this whole, like, feminist movement. But I, I think that, you know, uh, so increasingly we see, like, men sometimes will stay home with the family um with the children and take care of them and I mean I've I've heard it said because people would like they're just they're more suited to that like the man would be more suited to stay home and take care of the family instead of the mom and I'm not really sure like I'm not really sure what I think about that because obviously each family is different each marriage is different each couple is different and they have their own ideas and um ways that they live their life and men and women are created differently. But I also just think that in, in the way that the man is the head of the household, you know, and biblically, and, and again, we also want to do a, a topic on or an episode on like biblical marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we are married, but as, as the man is the head of the household, he's, I, I think there's this biblical precedent for this, that the man is the one that provides for the family and is, is the one doing that. And I, I think, I think Mary ha- also had something very interesting to say to this, too, because of the pre-industrial era and how men and women worked together in the home to produce the goods that they were they were good at making, like cloth and making the shoes. And, you know, because you had the cobbler and the baker and you had the, you know, the specialists and what they did and, and the families that, that made all of the things, you know, before you had the factories that mass produced stuff that you had. Yeah, just families working together to make these things, and it, it really bonded the family unit more than more than anything. And so, um, I think Mary also speaks to that quite a bit as well. But um, yeah, I just think that when you try to when you try to bring it down to the bare bones and you nitpick everything, like oh, should a woman stay at home and clean the dishes? Like, is that her role? Like, is that making her a servant? Like, that's getting so nitpicky, and it's beyond the picture of what marriage is supposed to be and marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church and Christ's um, self-sacrifice and love for the church and the church's submission to Christ and um, their undying love for each other I mean you know we, we we as the body of believers like we are we have faith in Christ and we are devoted to him and we submit to his authority but because Christ sacrificed himself for us you know, that's the reason that we can love and, and and you know, have, have anything good about us is because that Christ has done that for us. And that's what Ephesians says about marriage. It's, it's like husbands, as Christ did for the church, lay yourselves down. Like, you know, no one hates his own flesh, but loves it well. And mm-hmm. so because this woman is your own flesh, love her well. And, you know, therefore, wives, submit to your husbands because of that. And so I just think that I think that is the picture of marriage. And. Um, you know, I, like I said, each couple is individual and they have, you know, different personalities and roles and, and they have to work together through that. But I think ultimately that the, the, the man is the head of the household. They're given unique responsibilities that um, it doesn't mean women aren't that way. Like they can't be leaders in their own right or anything, but they have separate roles and, and individual roles in society. And um, they're they are equal. They're equal human mm-hmm. beings. They're both made in the image of God. But yet they have different rules. Women can give birth, men can't. Like, I, I just don't like. Th- they th- are there's no legislation
0: we can pass that can change that.
1: Yeah, I. Th- it is just inherently and it's biological about us, and that's something that God. That's a difference, but that's a beautiful difference, and mm-hmm. it gives us individual roles. We wouldn't all like, want to be the same. I- exactly.
0: I like. Let's stop. Like let let's let's stop demeaning the natural roles and talents that women are given, um, just, like, that's inherently right. as women. Yeah. Because, um, like, that's what we're doing. Instead of trying to change who women are to make them into men, let's start, like, praising what a, like, what a woman truly is to be and saying, mm-hmm. like, yes, this is what a woman is. Like, this is what a man is. Like, and they are both wonderful things. They are different, but both wonderful things. Yeah. Um, they're not any less than the other one. I mean, like, you just – the feminist movement – parades under the facade that they want women to be able to do whatever they want um which in some ways is like a kind of true it's, it's really not because they want women to do whatever they want if it agrees with their agenda right like there's no leeway when it comes like if you want to be a stay-at-home mom and you want to raise your children and live in that nuclear family aspect then like you're probably gonna get called some name at some point because you aren't and uh, go, you're going to be looked down upon because you're not a CEO and sending your children mm-hmm. to like not be with like it's just all these things you're going to be looked down upon for if you choose that option. Right. So they really don't care what you choose as long as you choose.
1: Yeah. Like, it's 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 not about elevating a woman to the like the same level as a man. Like it's not about equalizing them per se. It's about making a woman into a man and that is n- there's nothing equal about that you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. there's when you (laughs) that's taking away the thing that makes a woman a woman and Mm -hmm. saying no actually that isn't there's nothing equal about being a woman to a man and in fact you need to become a man in order to be equal to a man yeah that is not equality that's oppression (laughs) it's it's Mm -hmm. not allowing women to be who they are created to be and Women can be phenomenal leaders. Women can do incredible things. I mean, there is precedent for that in the Bible. Queen Esther, look at her and the, and the role that she had in saving her people, and uh, the, saving the Jews amidst the Persian Empire. And that was a phenomenal role that God used her mightily in. And and Ruth, she had this beautiful story of um, this self-sacrifice and submission and the way that she saved her mother-in-law and, and was obedient to, to the Lord. And God used her in mighty ways. And, and she was, you know— She's in the direct descendant of Jesus and, yeah. you know, Mary and Martha and these beautiful women in, in 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 history that just have these incredible roles. I mean, Delilah, she was a judge and, yeah. you know, like th- there is precedent for that. Women have incredible abilities, but that does not mean that we need to shove a woman into the, a man's figure. You mm-hmm. know, we we need to be who we are created to be, who God has made us to be mm-hmm. and, and and live with that. But. Not at the expense of of who we are as a woman. And I I love it when that femininity is encouraged. Yes. To be a mother, to wear dresses. You know what I mean? Feminism should encourage femininity. (laughs) It should. But it doesn't. And that's the problem. That's one of the problems. They have the same root
0: word. Like, you would think.
1: I know. You would think. Um, You really would think. But... Yeah, it was just a really inter- uh, interesting discussion that that's just been going on recently about the whole feminist movement and, and what it's becoming and um you know, I, I don't see a whole lot of pushback from the feminist movement for uh transgenderism which is a huge attack on the feminist movement because especially it's allowing women's sports like Oh, I know. I know. I keep seeing videos about that. Um and yeah, like when you when you allow men to participate in women's sports, I I just there's just absolutely no reason for that. Like it's, <laughs> it's it's just wrong.
0: As a female athlete I guess I'm not technically an athlete anymore, but someone who grew up as a female athlete, you know, like all these things, that's just so offending. It's like mm-hmm. like so offensive. Like, yes, let me let's let these biological men who think they're women We don't come. need to call
1: them biological men. They are a man. I know like, just
0: clarifying to know they know who we're talking about. They but are like, a man. Ugh. That's why I said to th- think they're women. Yeah. Um come and like play our sports and win because like you know men are very almost every single time not every single time but like they're statistically on the
1: whole they are much stronger much than women. much
0: stronger than a woman and it's just like this is so it's so degrading like yeah. you are degrading women by doing this yeah you're showing that you truly don't care i mean i think there's so many things like that um usually like, in our society whether it's with women or like Another one. This isn't technically about it, but I just really feel really the need to say it because I feel strongly about it. But Lando Lakes, they produce butter and things like that. They had a Native American woman on their package, and they took her off because of like racism. But you see that with like a lot of different things, whether it's having to do with like women or if it's having to do with like Native Americans and things like that. People are just like removing removing it, whether it's removing Native Americans from team names and like packaging, mm-hmm. or whether it's removing women from women's everything. Like
1: right. Yeah, there's a whole – there's whole stuff, and we're going to go into this more too, but – Absolutely. With Dylan Mulvaney and and Bud Light, and and, there's so much we can go into. Mm -hmm. But for now, we really need to get into Mary Harrington's interview. It was a um, a blast to have her on, and um, I hope you enjoy what she has to say, and um, consider – getting her book because it it has a lot of good things to say about Mm -hmm. um the modern feminist movement and the dangers of it and and what it's doing now so um thank you so much for tuning in this week I really hope you enjoyed this interview just a reminder you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM Welcome back to Fact of Life with Chloe Noller and Maddie Grace Watson. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Thank you so much for coming on today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: We'll just start off with a few questions. But first and foremost, why did you, like, what
2: made you decide to write Feminism Against Progress? Uh, I, I, short answer, I spent about 10 years trying to answer uh, an impossible question, or at least it wasn't an impossible question, but I spent 10 years trying to answer the question, is it possible to be a feminist if you don't believe in progress? The short answer is it depends a bit on what you mean by feminism and what you mean by progress. Uh, But the long answer is the book. So it was the end of a, it was, it was the product of a very, very lengthy process and a whole load of personal changes that I went through in my own life um, that left me really rethinking everything which I'd into absorbed in my, from my adolescence onwards, I guess, about what, what it meant to be a feminist and what that actually ought to look like. And, yeah, I ended up writing it all down just because I'm a nerd and I have to think everything all the way through. Um, And the feminism against progress is the result of that. I came to the conclusion that, yes, it's possible to be a feminist if you don't believe in progress. And furthermore, that the, the world has changed so much since the beginning of the women's movement with the industrial era, that, in fact, if you want to be a feminist, the only coherent place to stand is in opposition to progress.
0: So I love how you mentioned how everything has sort of started to change a little bit since looking at the original feminist movement. Looking at that, do you think that the original feminist movement maybe was doomed from the start or was there somewhere along the way like a specific point that maybe it started to get lost? So like in your research, what have maybe you found with that?
2: Well, to be honest, I'd frame it very slightly differently. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say there's a there's an ideal moment. There's an ideological ideological balance that we ought to go back to because I don't. That's not really how how I see things working. It's more that the that women's the women's movement, like any any facet of politics and political theory, emerges in response to the specific conditions of its time. Um, and the problem that we have with feminism as it currently stands is that it's imported a set of, um, a, a set of moral priors from the industrial age, which, which no longer makes sense or are no longer beneficial to women in the age that we inhabit now, which it's my contention is no longer the industrial age, but the transhuman one. And under transhumanist conditions, the pursuit of ever more freedom underwritten by technology is, is, net, is aggr- aggressively net negative for women in a way which was not the case in so much in the industrial era. So it's not so much that there's an ideal, ideal version of feminism that, you know, if we could only press the rewind button and then and then roll that out of a, in, in the way things are now, that everything would be all right again. Uh, it, it doesn't really work like that. You can't go back. That's just not that's not how society and culture and politics works. It's more that we have to look again at what at, at what we are as human beings and we have to look again at what materially is in women's interests and just and, and yeah start. Go back to the drawing board and rethink what it is that we're actually trying to achieve.
1: Well, wow, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what happened in the Industrial Revolution to make life so different for women?
2: I think the probably the most the most central and salient change really that impelled the the whole trajectory of the women's movement was that work left the home. Um, just to to unpack what I mean about that a little bit more in the in in, in the pre-modern world. I mean, it's, it's, the situation is slightly different in the United States, obviously, because a industrialization happened a little bit later, and b there's the the history of, of of migration to America and and the, the pioneer stage. So it's a little bit different in the United States, but broadly speaking, in the in in Europe. And I've 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 spoken, I guess, more in detail about about Britain. Um, medieval Britain um, was the the economic unit was not as it is today. An individual who pays taxes as an individual to the state. The, the primary economic unit was the household and the and the entirety of politics and society was structured around the idea of the idea that households were an economic unit taken all together and this is because that that was if that was fundamentally how it worked uh, most most people most people of both sexes worked but they didn't do so within a marketplace you know via via wages buying and selling women and men worked together within a productive household so one of them and, and they might have done quite different tasks and but women would have done a whole host of other things surrounding the raising of children. So they might have been processing raw materials into goods for the family. They might have been making textiles. Textile making in particular has been a female work for twenty thousand years or something. And it makes sense for it to be women's work because you can you can raise a loom off the ground so that your toddler doesn't come along and eat it or um, you can you can be somewhat you can be somewhat interrupted if you need to you need to go and get your baby you know, go and grab your baby before they do something dangerous or you can do it socially um it's but and it's but it's essential work that has to be done because people need clothes or people and people need fabric for all manner of different purposes so textile making has been part of women's economic contribution to productive households for years then along comes the industrial revolution and all of a sudden textile making doesn't happen in homes anymore it happens in in factories and they and of course that means it's centralized it means it's out of the home it means it's big big expensive dangerous pieces of machinery that you can't watch a toddler around so all of a sudden women are confronted with a question which has just not been an issue for the majority of women for you know millennia up, up to that point which is if you're going to work your, your your kid has to be somewhere else your kids have to be somewhere else how do, how do you make that work and the way and, and and really that's the beginning of the women's movement is in in all the different ways that women were were obliged by by the by the changes in in culture and economics to respond to that but for those women who could afford it for the most part um they said they simply stopped working they they they, they withdrew into the private home and this is and, and this gave rise to the private the bourgeois housewife which is generally speaking what, Amer- what conservatives are referring to when they talk about traditional gender roles. They're referring to the industrial era bourgeois housewife, who's actually paradoxically a, 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 a distinctively modern creation, an effect of the Industrial Revolution. Um, so the bourgeois housewife was that that was a role which emerged in response to. To the fact that women women were no longer able to work because work happened somewhere that wasn't the home, and but then and of course those women who couldn't afford to not work had, were left with all sorts of other dilemmas like what do you do with your kids while you're at work, how how, how do you manage childcare and, and so there's a whole strand of feminism that emerges from responding to those challenges and then there's a whole strand of there's a whole strand of thinking women's thinking and writing which is immensely rich from the 19th century which no longer reads as feminism because the liberal feminist historiography just treats it as patriarchal propaganda but the so-called cult of domesticity which is a huge body of writing by bourgeois housewives on the value and importance of of the home and of motherhood and of the proper education of children etc and so on um, i read straightforwardly as a, as a form of feminism because what those women were doing was saying okay we may have we, no, we may no longer be equal contributors to the to the household economy but we're still we're still what we're doing is still hugely important to society as a whole and and if we don't do it then life is just going to be horrible so you know you need to you need to place some value on 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 home and on motherhood and all of these things so these were so and i've, I've characterized these as the as the but but then against that the 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 difficulty on the other side was that the, the 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 cult of domesticity works provided your husband is a good man but if he's if he's abusive if he's irresponsible if he's a drunk if he if he spends all the money on gambling if he beats you if he yeah any any one of the things that can go wrong you know, essentially women found themselves in a situation where they had very little redress under those circumstances they couldn't own property it was frowned upon to work um it was incredibly difficult to get divorced and if you left your husband you 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 had no right to take your children with you and and for women who who found themselves in abusive situations you know the, there was a huge amount of suffering because these were legacy there was a, there was a whole set of legacy cultural and legal norms left left over from the medieval age when when the the principal economic unit was the household um so so on the one hand you've got you've got the the feminists of care the bourgeois the bourgeois domest- domesticity cheerleaders who are saying, no, actually, we really can make the best of this. And, you know, being being a mum and a housewife is, is all good and necessary. And I think of this as the feminism of care, which is to say making a case for for the, the continued importance of care and of the domestic and of love and all of those things which take which are important to human flourishing but exist outside the market. And then on the other side you've got you've got another another movement of women who are saying, no, this isn't enough. We need to be able to extract ourselves from these domestic arrangements when they're when they're negative for us. And we want to be able to enter the market on the same terms as men. We want to be able to work. We want to be able to become you know Im- embrace all of the new um office-based professions which, have, which are opening up in this, in, in the way, in, in our newly transformed industrial, you know, we, we, we want to participate in public life and we want to do that on the same terms as men. And these, these, these really, all the way back in the 19th century, these women were thinking over the feminism of freedom and, and how, how they could introduce social changes such as to remove all of the encumbrances, which, because effect, effectively caring obligations are encumbrances, there's no way around that. I mean, I'm a mum, and there are certain things. There are ways in which my life is limited by having obligations to my child. You know, there's absolutely there's no way around that. And and so for the feminists of freedom, they they set about try. They, they were essentially treating these encumbrances as encumbrances, as problems to be solved. And Charlotte Perkins Gilman, who wrote The Yellow Wallpaper, the famous book about the, the short story about the rescue. Um, I think she I believe she was a lawyer. Um, anyway, she she was a, she wrote her she wrote a few early seminal. Um, pieces of of American liberal feminism, and she she was already postulating uh, shared kitchens and and shared crash arrangements back in the nineteenth century, really as a you know, incredibly prophetic for for what the feminism the feminism of freedom which has followed and which is really now the only feminism of freedom that we have. But, I th- but what I've set out to show in the first part of the book is that over, over the industrial era, which has now ended, these the, the feminisms of freedom and care formed a, a very rich and fruitful back and forth. And they were really two sides of the same coin as women set women set about trying to renegotiate and defend women's interests um, under a, a, a radically changed set of social and economic conditions but that all of this came to came to an end really feminism as such if we understand it as a as a back and forth between the questions of freedom and care it it came to an end in the in the middle of the 1960s because that was when the feminism of freedom won definitively and since then we've been living in a new age um, with a with a kind of with, with a sort of successor ideology which calls itself feminism but which I think of much more as a libertarianism of the body bio libertarianism mm-hmm. or if you prefer transhumanism. Um, which is a it, it flies under the banner of feminism but rip but it's its objectives and its values are something are some, something really quite different and in my view it's net negative for women
0: in your book you discuss peak progress what mm-hmm. do you mean by this?
2: well I don't really I don't believe that progress is a thing in an absolute sense I mean we could spend we could spend hours arguing about that as an abstraction and I haven't <laughs> I haven't set out to make the case against progress in the book because there are much more erudite writers and thinkers who have already set who already done that christopher lash writes about this in the true and only heaven which i very much recommend and there have been a few other critics of the idea of never ending progress um, but it's it, it's i've just taken, I've, I've just set it as a as a basic premise of the book that never ending progress is a belief and not a fact i don't see how it can be proven and to my to my eye the the, the decade where it stopped being plausible was probably the end of the 1990s which was, I guess, the, the it was the decade when I come of age. I'm I, I'm I'm in my forties now, so I, I I had my adolescence during the 1990s, which was which was the age of peak progress. And that was it, everyone genuinely believed back when I was a teenager that life could go on getting better forever. That things would always things would go on getting richer and more peaceful and more abundant and more free and more, yeah better on every every sort of mainstream normie consumer progressive metric that you can to name things things could go on getting better um <laughs> since i guess from 911 onwards it's not that's not really how it's been working out and uh, my my sense is that for people who've who come of age more recently who are i guess gen z now their life really looks quite different and so so what i've, I've yeah i wanted to speak to speak to just just how how misleading it is to try and to try and apply the ideals which made sense in in the decade of peak progress in the nineteen nineties to the world as it is now, when where we really, to, in my assessment, are some some distance now beyond peak progress and into something a lot more unstable.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. I I was really touched by the beginning of your book when you when you speak about becoming a mother. And so, will you just talk about that for a little bit what you feel like the importance of motherhood is especially in a society that that really devalues that and 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 you know breaks down the family
2: um could you just speak to that a little bit Sure. um well uh, once upon a time uh, i believed you know that as a as a child of peak progress <laughs> I, I, I i i believe that the good pursuing the good as a woman meant being free of any constraints or expectations that came with being female and I genuinely believe that that's what it was all about. So there should be no expectation attendant on me to be a mum or to do to do or not do any particular occupation because of my sex. People shouldn't make assumptions about me because of my 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 sex appearance. I should be able to dress as I like. I should be able to behave as I like. And, and, they, and, and it was I believe that that was what feminist empowerment meant that I could essentially do as I please on on without feeling in any way constrained by my sex. What happened when I that I should I should aim for a, a kind of total independence, sort of as radical atomisation, as sort a of radical freedom from, if you like. It, it kind of ran, it hit the wall a bit when I became a mum because at that point I realised that this is a this is a model of the good which makes no sense at all if you're a mum, and this was not. You know, I mean, it was like going, it was like going through a looking glass, becoming pregnant, because. The, the whole idea of being a separate person just person just goes completely out of the window when you're pregnant I mean if you if you want to be pregnant and a, if you, and it, it's a wanted and loved baby that you're carrying and all of a sudden you can't just do whatever you want you you completely can't you know not only are you getting more and more heavy and encumbered literally in a physical sense but what you eat and how you behave has a has it has a direct material impact not just on you but also on your baby. I mean, all, all of a sudden all of a sudden you'll want you know can, can I have a glass of wine? can I eat cheese? Um, <laughs> these are not questions that you'd never really considered before. Um, you know does, are people going to look at me funny if I buy if I have some salad? you know this is or, or a rare steak I didn't I didn't worry about the rare steak thing that just seemed insane to me and, and the salad one. anyway but, but, but the whole point is you're suddenly thinking you' so all of a sudden there's there's somebody else who literally ha- has skin in the game because they're in you. Um, and that feeling doesn't really go away when when your baby is born. I mean, the, the best I've, I've described it in the book and, and it is still the best way I can think of describing it. It's like growing an extra limb and then mm-hmm. dis- discovering that one day that that ex- that physical that part of your body, which you know, feels like part of your body, is no longer physically attached to your body, but it still feels like part of your body. And it's as existentially urgent to take care of it and ensure its well-being as it would be of your own arms or legs or kidneys. That's that's how that's how visceral it feels.
0: Well, wow, I love I loved how you described that with your child almost like becoming like an extra limb of yours. I yes, had never I was... heard it described like that before, but yeah. that was a beautiful um, description.
2: Yeah, there's a and, and it's it's echoed by a lot of other moms that I've spoken to. So you've described something very similar. It's, yeah, it's it, it feels like that. Um, as a, the, this, this person is continuous with you. you. You feel very sort of merged with this little person. I mean, I remember completely freaking out at the dentist because my appointment was, was 15 minutes late and I was panicked at the thought of her waking up before I could get home. Um, like completely freaking out. I was practically having a panic attack because, yeah, the, the the thought of her being without me was so awful. Uh, the only time I've ever crashed a car in something like 20 years of driving, I've no, not crashed, only only damaged a car even in 20 years of driving was when my daughter was hungry and screaming in the back and I was trying to go around a tight corner. And I just couldn't think um, it, it. At that point, I realized that this idea, A, the idea that we're that you're that humans are completely rational and detached and in command of our own desires and objectives at all times. is just nonsense. Or at least, at least it's. It, it, the, the uh, being a detached, rational subject whilst also being a new mum is makes no sense. Um, and also that just just being a imagining that we're all separate rather than being interdependent and deeply interwoven with our loved ones is also nonsense. But of course, this 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 kind of this this threw me back on, on my heels a bit where feminism is concerned because a great modern liberal feminism very much takes the view that to be a separate person is to be you know to pursue separateness and autonomy is is to pursue the good as a woman and i'm thinking well does this mean you know if if uh, what's going on, what's going on here you know here's a movement which says it's pursuing my interests but it seems to have it seems to be pursuing a set of interests which which are radically radically incompatible with being a mum. you know are mothers not women you know, is this a feminism problem, or is this a liberalism problem, or is this a mum's problem? And I thought, well, no, I, I, there's, there's enough. There's enough that still feels good and right to me about the the political project of pursuing women's interests that I'm not ready to throw feminism out altogether. Um, and 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 I'm certainly not going to throw being a mother out So you know, I, I came to the conclusion that really the, the fundamental problem here is liberalism, and you know, I was going to have to figure out a way of of. Of making the case for women's interests with from from a different from a different starting point that that wasn't necessarily the the, the liberal autonomy one and that wasn't necessarily the progressive one and by by a extremely roundabout route that brought me to to making the 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 materialist reassessment I have of the feminist movement and the argument that in fact what we need is to re-examine the material conditions we have now and to and to re-evaluate those in the light in. In relationship to what we understand about uh, the material the the embodied realities of being a woman and being including being a mother and and rethink what it what it means in today's economic and cultural conditions to pursue women's interests given those given that assessment really just go back and to to go back to the drawing board not not to go back to the 1950s or even the 1850s but to but to rethink rethink the whole project and say what, what 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 is actually going to benefit women broadly speaking, under the conditions that we have now.
0: Why should men and women read feminism against progress? Maybe what is one, it's one central idea that can be passed
2: on to the next generation? Honestly, I wrote the book because I, I learned I, I figured out a whole bunch of stuff the hard way. I mean, I was an early adopter of woke, I was an early adopter of leading a totally liquefied atomized life. I was an early adopter of sort of extreme experimental sexual revolution practices which are now pretty widespread and normalized today most of them made me miserable as it turned out more freedom isn't necessarily more happiness and I came to the conclusion pretty much the hard way that in fact I found more peace and more joy and more fulfillment and more meaning by in embracing beneficial constraints that have enabled me to live in in a more constrained way a more a more fulfilling life and honestly if I if, if even one person either of either sex reads reads feminism against progress and can having come to the conclusion that there's something off about what what young men and women are being told liberation means now and and decides to and decides to take a more pragmatic approach and a more and a more intentionally self-limiting intentionally self-disciplined approach in pursuit of the good life and the flourishing life then I'll feel like it's it's been worth it's been worth doing but to put it another way I kind of i, I I feel like there are a lot of young men and women who who have a diffuse sense that they've been lied to somewhere along the way, and they look at the way they, they look at the way relationships are formed or not formed, and they look at the, they, they look at how lonely their peers are and how how hostile and atomized the dating culture in particular seems to get, and they think, well, well why is this happening? I don't understand. How, how do we how do we make things different? And I, I I set out to unpack some of what I learned about about that just through living it and, and, and to, to offer my reflections in the hope that hopefully hope, maybe some, some a generation younger than me will get to where I got to or, 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 or get get to somewhere which is more beneficial than the, the social norms that we currently have uh, without sustaining as many scars as I did.
1: Thank you for that. I really appreciate that.
2: One final question, if, if
1: listeners are interested
2: in purchasing your book, um, where can they find that? So it releases in the United States next week, which is on the Wednesday, the 25th of April. The publisher is Regnery Books. Um, you can find it in on Amazon and all the usual bookstores.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed interviewing you and hearing your take on progress and feminism. Just thank you so much for sharing your story.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: Wow, what a great interview today.
0: I really hope you all learned something. As always, if you have any questions or any comments, make sure to email us at factoflifepodcast at gmail.com. Even send us a message on Instagram or Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at factoflifepodcast.com. Or on Twitter at Fact of Life Pod, you can listen to us literally anywhere your podcast. Super cool, and especially here on Radio Free Hillsdale, one hundred one point seven FM. It's been a pleasure this week, guys. Thank you so much. As always, my name is Chloe Nolan, and I'm Manningly Watson, and, and we approve of this message.